Please join me in John chapter 15. We're back into our series in the upper room with Jesus. And today, a message we're calling Love and Hate. You and I have love-hate relationships with a number of things in our lives, and we can illustrate that. We can say, first of all, don't we have a love-hate relationship with technology? I think most of us are thrilled that we have a phone with us, and we would tell people, I love that I can be in constant contact all the time. We love that, but we also hate that. I'm in constant contact all the time. Can't, you maybe feel like I can't get away. Or maybe it's just the internet. You think, mm, I love, <clears throat> pardon me, I love the internet where I can have questions answered in a matter of seconds, no matter what it is. And that is fascinating. Think about what it used to be like. Maybe some of you remember World Book Encyclopedias. You young people, you don't know what that is. You only know what an encyclopedia is. But used to, our parents would invest a lot of money, probably in an installment plan, would buy these hardback books that would be on a shelf. And the idea was you might need those for some school assignment one day. And so if you had a question, you might go to the World Book Encyclopedias, find the appropriate volume, thumb through it, hoping for an answer. And probably then maybe not what you were looking for. But think about it. We, we love the technology. We love the speediness of it with the internet. But don't we simultaneously hate much of what's on the internet? There are things there, just clicks away, that can enslave your mind. In fact, it has, has enslaved the minds of millions of men and women, destroyed families, really destroyed reputations, uh, devastated churches. And so we have a love-hate relationship with things like the Internet. Just one more example, how about social media? We have a love-hate relationship with it. We love that we can take, uh, take pictures and share things with family and friends, stay in touch. We love that. We love that we can share a prayer request and be, be able to encourage and be encouraged. So beautiful. What a great use of social media. But then there are things we don't like. We don't like the bragging. We don't like the, the rants about dumb little things. We don't like the angry political posts. We don't like the bullying. So love-hate relationship. Well, I bring that up because here we are in John 15. And Jesus is going to tell his followers that, that they are going to be the objects in the world of both love and hate coming from the world. So we know as believers in Jesus Christ that we are recipients of the greatest love of all. We have the love of God. And if we're a part of a local church, just as we've seen in John 15 and earlier, that we are to experience the imperfect but wonderful love of brothers and sisters in Christ. If it's God's will for you to marry, you might also experience the wonderful but imperfect love of a spouse and family and other friends. But at the same time, all that's happening, Jesus is going to tell us, but you're going to experience hatred coming from the world. No matter how sweet and kind you seek to be, just understand hatred is coming inbound. Now, we as believers, we're done with hatred. That was one of the marks of our life before Christ. We're not to hate anybody now that we're in Christ. We're even told to love our enemies. We're told to bless those who persecute us. But we know that that love we're putting out will not always be reciprocated. And that's what Jesus is going to tell his first disciples. And now us as his present day disciples here. John 15, picking up together now in verse 18. Jesus is going to use the word hate eight times here. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Here in this upper room discourse, one of the major themes we've seen up until now has been that theme of love. That you and I get to enjoy the love of God. We see that in places like John 15, 9 through 11. And repeatedly, we've been commanded to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We know elsewhere throughout the New Testament, we are commanded to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbors. That's everybody on earth. We're to love them like we love ourselves. But in all of that love, you and I are not to be naive. Everybody is not going to love us in return. In fact, Jesus uses that very strong word, hate here. In fact, for sure today in these three services, now the third, I've said the word hate now today more than I've said it probably in the last three or four years because I've pretty much taken it out of my vocabulary because we're not to be hating people as the followers of Christ. But Jesus uses the word here. This is what's coming towards you because of me. So that word carries the idea of this. Many are going to detest you because you belong to Jesus. There will be people who want to work against you because you belong to Jesus. There are those who would desire your harm because of Jesus. There are those, as Jesus said, who will persecute you. Now, who, who would want to do this? Well, Jesus tells you who it is he has in mind, and he calls this the world. You know this, that in the New Testament, the word world is used in several ways depending on the context. So sometimes when you see the word world, it just simply means the earth. Sometimes the word world means the people of the earth. For instance, when Jesus said, for God so loved the world, speaking of the people of the world. But here in places like this and elsewhere in the New Testament, world can also refer to that kingdom of this world that is opposed to the kingdom of Christ. It can refer to the people associated with a world system that's estranged from God. It can refer to this present order of things. We could say the, the culture of this present world that's in opposition to Christ and his followers. And the New Testament speaks a lot about the world in this sense. We know this, that this world system or this age is under the leadership, the influence of Satan. And it is indeed hostile to Christ and the followers of Christ. We also know from the New Testament that this world system is doomed. It's temporary. And when Jesus comes, it will be overthrown when he comes in his glory and power. But right now we live in this world, in this age with its hostilities. So think about it with me. Let's test this. Is this true? Do we live in a world that's hostile to the things of Christ? Is there another kingdom at play here 
that we have to experience as part of the kingdom of God. Well, yes. So think about with me, all the major places of power and influence, what's coming out of those places? So let's talk about places like Washington, Moscow, New Delhi, Beijing. We say, what's coming out of these places? Is it the, the message of Christ? Is it a message of the values of what we find in the New Testament? No, we say, what's coming out of these places of power are things antithetical to everything Jesus stands for. Many times things that are anti-Christ coming out of these places. Let's add to that list. So we ask, what's coming out of places like New York? What's coming out of places like Hollywood? It was, oh, the dominant theme coming out of there is Christ-honoring, glorious things, things that edify me. No, most of the time, these are things that are promoting sin, promoting pride, promoting self, and not at all promoting Christ. So we're just making the point here that Jesus says that you're going to be hated. That hatred's going to come from a world system. It's, a, it's an alternate kingdom with, with contrasting values. So there is a contrasting kingdom that we're a part of. We're a part of the kingdom that lasts, but there is a clash. And I bet you experience it in your life. Because you belong to Jesus, because you've given full allegiance to Christ, uh, you're out of step with the dominant culture of the world. And don't you experience pressure to conform to the other kingdom? That's why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is why John in his epistle in 1 John chapter 2 verse 15, we read this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Going to be hated. It's going to come from the world. We're told to love the people of the world, but not the ways of the world. But now we come back to this theme of hatred. If we talk about what do I do with this teaching, first of all, you and I should expect hatred from the world. It's what Jesus says here in verse 18, verse 20, verse 21. Now, the disciples, they already knew about this. They had already seen Jesus being treated with disdain and hatred by the religious leaders of their time. They, they were seeing that in real time. But the very next day, remember, Jesus is teaching in the upper room the night before the crucifixion. 9 a.m. the next morning, Jesus is going to be crucified. They're about to see just how much the world hates Jesus. And he's telling them, and if they hate me... They are going to hate you the very same way. So the, the persecution that the first Christians first experienced, like Jesus, was from the Jewish unbelieving authorities. But then it quickly became a Roman persecution. So the Christians were the people who could not say Caesar is Lord because Jesus alone is Lord. They would give honor to their leaders as the scriptures taught, but they would not worship the leaders. And so it put them in a position of appearing to be insubordinate. Some people feared that the Christians were going to create a displeasure from the Roman gods and, and really hurt the whole community. And so they were looked out as people who are not good citizens. And so persecution came, just as Jesus said. And then you and I know that this is true in our age as well. We contend with the same world that Jesus described to his first disciples. Because we follow Christ and not the influencers of our age, 
we experience disdain and varying degrees of persecution. Because we will not conform to the demands of the world, we must be ready to pay a price. 2 Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It was one of the first verses I memorized as a new Christian in high school, and it didn't create in me a paranoia. It did not create in me a pessimism. It was just good to know that this is a part of normal Christianity. If I'm serious about following Jesus, there will be a price to pay. Let me ask you, what's your expectation with the Christian life? What are you expecting when you get up in the morning and you head out as a Christ follower? What are you expecting? Do you have this as your expectation? If I'm friendly and charming, and if I mean well, I'm going to get along with everybody, and everybody's going to like me. Or is this your expectation? I can love others so well, and everybody's going to understand my heart, and they're going to all love me too. Is this your expectation? I can live a faithful Christian life, and I can avoid all this hatred that Jesus just spent all that time talking about. How about this question? What is your goal? Christian, make it your goal to be faithful to Christ no matter the cost. That's the goal. Matthew 24, 9, Jesus says, They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. That's strong. That's not even encouraging to read, is it? When he says, All nations will hate you because of me. But I love this. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. Galatians 1.10 for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So notice here, Jesus tells his disciples about this, about this hatred. But he doesn't tell them, now your mission is, because they hate you, your mission is to go out in the world and make everybody love you. It's not the mission. Neither did Jesus say, here's the mission. You, you go out and do it so right. Because if you do it right, nobody's going to hate you. So the hatred is not because we did something wrong. That's what Jesus gets here. He says, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So Jesus said, you, you should expect this type of hatred from the world. And then Jesus explains to them and helps them understand, at least in some part, to understand this hatred from the world. That's verses 20 through, 22 through 25. In other words, why will they persecute you? And in short, the answer is because they're lost and they're blinded by sin. Just like all of us, before we came to know Jesus, we were in that same condition, blinded, did not understand reality, did not understand the things of God to varying degrees. We were also hostile to the kingdom of God. But verse 21, Jesus said, they persecuted me ultimately because they did not know God. Verse 23 says, they actually hated God. So those first persecutors of Jesus, though they were religious leaders, they were in unbelief. They did not know the God they said they did. They actually hated that God. Remember John 3, 19. Jesus said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus in this teaching on this hatred coming in said they persecuted him and they have no excuse. He said, had I not come to them and taught them these things, they might have no excuse but they're guilty of sin. And because I came to them and did these works proving I was the Messiah and they still reject me, they are without excuse. They're in the guilt of their sin. And Jesus says to us, 
that the reason that they don't accept us, the reason that they hate us is because we follow a different leader. We follow Jesus. That's verse 19 again. Look at that. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So he says the world will love you if you were a part of them. But isn't it beautiful? Jesus said, and you used to be a part of that world. But I chose you out of kindness. I chose you out of the world. You're no longer a part of them. Now you belong to me. And now you're in this clash of these two kingdoms. So this is what we're experiencing right now. So let's talk about what's happening in our culture right now. But then we're going to talk in just a moment about what, what other believers around the world are facing in terms of this hatred that Jesus warned about 2,000 years ago. So the, the persecution we presently experience is this, that the culture tells us that they're fine with us doing this. That, that you're fine if you just worship like this. You go to your places of worship and you worship, fine. They call that freedom of worship. But not so much in the freedom of religion. And so, so that is, you do that, Christian, but when you leave those walls, you better be in lockstep with our dogma. Because we'll tell you what's true and right and good. Don't go by that Bible. Basically, the, the idea of our culture is lay down that Bible and you'll be fine. Lay down the Bible and we will not try to harm you. This is why those who call themselves progressive Christians, liberal Christians, they're not experiencing persecution. Because they've been willing to make accommodations to the culture. We'll then worship a Jesus that's different than the Jesus of the New Testament. We'll worship that one. So it's an idolatry. We're going to change him up where he doesn't have anything to say about sin. He's, he's light on all that. And, and really all the teachings of the apostles don't really apply today. So many churches, many religious leaders have just opted out of a New Testament understanding and just gone with a cultural understanding. So essentially the culture is demanding this of believers. Set down the Bible, we'll leave you alone. You can be a Christian if you want to call yourself that, but you cannot be a biblical Christian that would follow those teachings. So, so the choice for us, and you feel it, is for us to join the false teachers of our generation and be applauded by the culture. And they would love it if you would do that. They would say, y'all, you're one of us now. Or we can say, no, I will stand with my Savior. It's just unthinkable that I would become a false teacher. I'm going to stick with the word I've got. I can't improve upon it. And no matter what price I have to pay, I would not dream of defecting from Christ. So that's what we're facing in this culture. But there are various types of persecution that believers might face here and overseas. So on the one level, this hatred takes the form of discrimination. So there are people who would not want to be around you. They would not want to be your friend because of Jesus and you're seriously wanting to follow him. There are people who would not want to hire you because you are a Christian. Certainly ridicule is a part of this. People would like to mock you for Christ. This has been happening for many generations. There are those who would slander you and lie about you because of faith. And this is really an insidious type of persecution to be lied about when you belong to Jesus. So this is what's interesting in our generation that this hatred coming in that Jesus talked about, this hatred sometimes takes the form of people saying that you're hateful. <laughs> They're hating you by telling you that you're a hater, that you're a bigot. And you think that's not true. That's just not at all true. Can I explain to you that that's not true? No, I'm not interested in that. You're a hater. So the hatred comes in a very interesting way there. There's boycotting that can happen to you, canceling you, bullying you. And if you've ever been bullied online by dozens and dozens of hundreds of people, there's really nothing you can do about it. Just weather it. 
You'll be tempted in those moments to say, well, let me try to reason with the mob. I, I can let them know that they've got it all wrong, that, that I mean well. But nobody, when that mob comes for you, they're not in any interest in listening to you and what, you're, what you really are about. It's brutal. But then beyond that, there are lawsuits. And we've seen those in our culture for some time. And this happens around the world as well in other even European countries where a Christian takes a stand on the basis of conscience and even the state governments will come for them and find them and try to harass them. And we've seen that working its way through the courts. This is horrific. In some parts of the world, if you become a Christian out of a majority religion in some of these countries, you can have your family taken from you. So maybe by the extended family, they're so upset that you became a believer, they're going to take, their, they're going to take your wife from you. Or if you're a woman, they're going to take your husband from you, take your children from you. Can you imagine that cost? And of course, there's injury and arrest. In my quiet time, I've told you I have a number of photos I use as a part of my prayer list. And two of the photos I have there in my digital photo album there are two pictures that remind me to pray for the persecuted church. There's one picture that I received some years ago from some colleagues in South Asia of, of a person, a young man from South Asia behind bars. I hope he's long since been released from jail, but I keep that picture to remind me that there are brothers and sisters in Christ who are behind bars because of their faith and commitment to Jesus. I have another picture right after that one in my, in my prayer time where I see a burned out church in South Asia where some Hindu radicals had burned down this church and all you can see is the charred remains and you see some believers there pouring water on some of the, the embers there. And it again reminds me the cost that our brothers and sisters in various places are having to pay. Let me give you another example. This one also comes out of India. This is from November the 20th, 22. So just a couple of months ago, listen to this news story. Last Sunday, Christians in India were severely beaten for refusing to deny their faith. A mob of radical Hindu nationalists, along with their village leader, interrupted Sunday worship in the home of a Christian family. The mob burst into the house, took two Christian families, and beat them brutally. Among the three who suffered serious internal injuries, one man was unconscious for nearly an hour. The two Christian families who were attacked came to faith just four months ago. Since then, they have been constantly harassed by radical residents. According to sources reaching international Christian concern, the village leader amassed the mob, including residents of neighboring villages, and accused the Christians of converting to a foreign religion, abandoning their gods, and luring innocent tribal people into Christianity. The mob started to attack the Christians, including the women and children. The pastor fell unconscious after a significant beating. The crowd assumed he had died and left the scene. After an hour, he regained consciousness. The Christian community went to the police station to report the attackers, but the mob, led by the village leader, arrived to file a first incident report against the pastor. There is little hope for justice for the Christians. And then this quote, the incidents of persecution have increased so much these days, one local pastor said, last month, a young Christian was beaten for refusing to recant his faith. Though we knock on the police station all the time, we receive little or no justice. The pastor explained Odisha was the first Indian state to have anti-conversion laws. Today, 11 Indian states have enacted anti-conversion laws with two enacting them this year. We pray for our Indian brothers and sisters. Indeed, we do. Indeed, we do. Open Doors gives us a list each year of the toughest places on earth to live as a follower of Jesus. They give a top 10 list. Let me give you the top five. Uh, the toughest place on earth to live as a Christian, we're told, is Afghanistan. And you can imagine that that would be true. Second on the list is North Korea. 
Can you imagine being a disciple of Jesus living in North Korea? Third is Somalia. Fourth is Libya. Five is Yemen. We have a number of church members who are from, from Nigeria. Nigeria makes number seven on the list of most difficult places to be a Christian. We also have members of our church from India. India makes the top 10 list as well of most difficult place to be as a Christian. Open Doors tells us that more than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination. They tell us that nearly 6,000 Christians were killed last year because of their faith in him. So we're just being alerted by Jesus here that the reality is with all the love you're receiving and the love you're giving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, you are going to experience hatred from the world. So expect it. Understand where it's coming from. It's unbelief. It's being lost and blind like we once were. But then this, do not fear it. Do not fear. If you notice verse 26, in this context of all this hatred, he reminds us of the helper. Back in chapter 14, he already told us about the helper, the Holy Spirit who's going to come and he's already with them. He's going to then be in them. And so we're reminded also the helper has come and he's greater. This is God himself dwelling in every believer. We must not fear. We fear him and not the culture, no matter what they must do. Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's another way of saying, fear God only, do not fear mere man. Don't make it your goal in life to avoid persecution. Certainly don't go seek out persecution. You're not going to need to. Persecution will come for you, but don't compromise in order to avoid persecution. Be faithful, be fearless, fear God rather than men. And when persecution comes, wear it as a badge of honor to you. Remind yourself, Jesus chose me out of the world. I used to be just like this. I once too was hostile to God and the things of God, but he saved me from it. And so I celebrate that I get to suffer for Jesus. In fact, that's the attitude Jesus told us to have in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It was in the early 2000s I got to meet some brothers in South Asia who had indeed experienced persecution. And I got to meet these two guys, but um, I met the one of them who was the leader after he had already been in prison for his faith. So one of our colleagues who lived in that country would check on this brother while he was behind bars with his, with his ministry colleague. They were both there and he was learning that they were continuing to share the faith while they were in this South Asian jail. Our colleague was there when they were released from jail and he said, this was the scene. The older uh, local believer, along with his younger ministry partner, as they emerged from the jail, suffering for Jesus, the younger guy was pumping his fist saying, I am Paul, I am Paul, I'm Paul. He was honored to have suffered like the New Testament apostles. He too now got to suffer for the name of Jesus. Quite inspiring to see that level of faith. So we are not to fear. Rather, you and I, are to share the gospel. Say, so what else do I do with this text? How do I process it? Well, let it be a motivator. I'm to share the gospel. So Jesus here talking all about this suffering. He knows our context. He knows the hatred coming in. Nevertheless, did you notice verse 27? 
In this context, he says, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So Jesus did not share this warning of hatred coming in to say, and you guys need to hide yourselves. You just need to hunker down and don't talk about me. Try to do anything to avoid the hatred. No, they are to be witnesses. Remember even earlier, Sermon on the Mount, they were told that you are the light of the world and you don't put this under a basket. You put it on a, light, a lampstand. You are to make this gospel known. Remember, right before his ascension, Jesus gave the great commission. He told them to go into all nations and make disciples. And so we indeed are to be his witnesses. And then this, how else do we process this passage? Here's a word. We must not fall away from Christ. We must not fall away from Christ. And that takes us into chapter 16. Look at chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I've told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus tells you, verse 1, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. D.A. Carson said it this way, the greatest danger the disciples will confront from the opposition of the world is not death, it's apostasy. So we live in an age where there are those who actually on social media will, will become apostates. They will deny the faith. They call it deconstructing their faith. And so I, I, I don't have TikTok, but my kids do. And others have told me about this. People go online and they're very proud of it. Hey, I used to call myself a Christian, but not any longer. I'm renouncing all that. And I, I'm really ashamed of how I used to believe. And, and they do that to the applause of the world. Why else would you do that online for all to see? You're proud of it. And the world just eats it up. It loves that. Listen, that cannot be you. It cannot be us. Now, 1 John 2 tells us that people who do that never did belong to Christ. They went out from us to show they were never really of us. A true person who's born again can't fall away like that. But listen, you might be here and you've been drawn toward Christ. You are on your way to put your faith in Christ. And you might be tempted by all this talk of hatred that you're already experiencing the pressure. You think, I think I'll follow the world. I'm going to renounce all this. That'd be a big mistake. The Lord loves you like no one else. You want to keep coming and put your faith in Christ. Don't be among those who fall away from the gospel that they have heard. So Jesus is telling us that this opposition, this persecution, is just part of the Christian experience, and it has been from the very beginning. So think about the sports we watch. There's opposition in almost every sport. If you think in terms, certainly, of team sports, if you played soccer, you're trying to score in one direction. There's another team trying to take that ball from you, going in another direction. If you play basketball, you've got five guys trying to score at one end. You've got five guys playing defense until they get the ball, and it's just conflict back and forth. And in our football, American football, uh, it's even more violent than that. You got guys who will tackle you, take you down as you're trying to score at the opposite end zone. Now, did I ever tell you the story of when my football career ended? My football career ended with an injury. It was a fake injury, but it was an injury. And uh, so growing up, I was a pretty decent athlete in the neighborhood, playing in little sandlots and things. I was a pretty good football player. I was a good receiver. And I didn't mind being tackled, trying to score touchdowns. Usually you get tackled from behind when you're playing that kind of backyard football. Then I did play some rec league football where you put on the pads and helmets there, older elementary school. And that was a lot of fun. Didn't like getting hit, kind of scared of it, but did it. But then I had a friend talk me into trying out for our junior high football team. And my friend lied to me. 
he told me, these guys are no bigger than you, Jim. You should, you should go out for this. And so the glory, the thoughts of glory of playing football at a higher level got to me and I went and tried out and I lasted a day until the injury, the fake injury happened. And so it happened this way. We have on all the gear and the coach lined us up in two opposing lines, a single file line that way, single file line that way. It was a crazy drill. He'd blow the whistle and the guys at the front of the lines would come in and slam into each other for no apparent reason. I didn't mind being tackled from behind when you're trying to score, but why are we doing this on purpose? And I'm not built for this. And so I, I stood in the back of my line. I'm looking like, who, who am I going to have to hit? So I'm doing the math. Who's going to hit? And it was a guy named Tim Goodsell. Tim Goodsell was built for football. He was a muscular guy. And I thought, oh no, I'm going to have to slam into Tim Goodsell. And so our time came at the front line. He blew the whistle. Wham, we slammed into each other and uh, picked ourselves up off the ground and then went to the back of the line just to do it again. So then I'm at the back of the line thinking, am I have to hit him again? And I look and think, he's not there. Where's Tim? So I start scanning the field. and He's off to the side holding his arm. Somehow he got hurt running into me. I think my bony elbow must have cut him or something. I don't know how, how did he get hurt. It gave me an idea. I wasn't yet a believer. It gave me the idea. Look, if he didn't have to do this anymore from an injury, I now have an injury. So I went over to the coach. He didn't even know my name. It's day one of practice. And I just did this gesture. He made this gesture. Just go over there, sit down. And that's the last day of football for me. I retired and became a spectator for that. I bring that up because maybe you want a version of Christianity like that. You say, there are a lot of things about Christianity I want. I want the blessings. I want God's help. I want that peace they talk about. I want heaven to come, but I don't want there to be a price to pay. I don't want opposition. Don't tell me people are going to hate me. I don't want any of that. I just want the things that feel good. I, I want a Christianity without a cross. But didn't Jesus say, if you're going to come after me, you're going to take up your cross and follow me. And that's what he calls us to. So aren't you glad with me the Lord gives us straight talk here? Don't you want to follow after him? 1 Peter 4.12, we'll close with this. Listen to the, listen to the words of scripture again. 1 Peter 4.12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted, for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let not one of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And then he goes on to say this. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good.